Hello and welcome to the Thrive Health and Wellbeing podcast. In the seventh episode of this series, we chat to Dr. Haresh Sapaya, a research fellow in sport and exercise science at La Trobe University. Haresh is an expert on the topic of sleep and how our sleeping habits can affect our daily performance and functionality. And we've had a number of Latrobe researchers and industry experts who have come onto this pod to talk about a wide variety of topics. But the one thing in common that they've all spoken about is the importance of sleep, particularly in the context of an athlete's performance or even just how an active person functions as a result of their sleeping habits. Over the next 20 minutes, Haresh provides us with some valuable tips and suggestions on how you can best set yourself for a good night's sleep, whether that be for athletes or just the regular person that works a nine to five job. This podcast is a resource that has been created by the Latrobe community for the Latrobe community, and we hope that you get plenty out of it. If you enjoy this podcast, please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on the platform where you get your favorite audio podcasts. Now, let's get into the show. Yep. Uh, yeah, I'm Harish uh, Sapaya. Dr. Harish Sapaya is a research fellow in sport and exercise science at La Trobe University. He was previously a senior sport physiologist and head of research and development at the National Youth Sports Institute in Singapore, where he worked with multiple Olympic sports in preparation for regional and international competitions. His current research focuses on the performance impact of sleep in adolescent athletes. His research also extends to other applied sports science areas, the identification and development of youth talent in sport, and strength and conditioning. For this particular podcast, though, we wanted to focus on the topic of sleep, and specifically how we can give ourselves the best opportunity of having a good night's rest. So to kick off our chat, we asked Haresh about the core principles of sleep and why it's so important in our ability to function in our day-to-day lives. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, it's how much time do you have for me to delve into this? But, you know, at a very, um, you know, uh, high level, I'd say that sleep impacts uh, nearly every aspect of, um, you know, human life and, and well-being, both in terms of, well, not just both, but, you know, in, in terms of physiology, um, psychology, well-being. Um, so it, its applications are go far beyond just um, sport. Um, there's tons of research looking at um, the impact of, you know, shortened sleep durations and all-cause mortality, for example. Um, so I would say, you know, that the great thing about doing, you know, it's a research on sleep, it's a blessing and a curse because, you know, it's a blessing because you can pretty much connect with anyone because it's such a, you know, basal requirement of just, uh, you know, normal daily life. Um, it's also, you know, a bit challenging because of how varied uh, people's sleep habits are. As we all know, each of us have different relationships with sleep. And depending on a variety of factors, the different techniques or strategies for forming healthy sleep habits differ from person to person. But there are some key principles to keep in mind when it comes to forming optimal sleeping habits, both as an athlete and even for someone who lives a busy and active lifestyle, particularly when it comes to balancing training loads and competition. So I guess, you know, from uh, to your question about, you know, how, how does it impact uh, 
general well well-being and, and sport. Um, there's tons of evidence to say that it impacts, you know, your your overall health and well-being. And I would say, you know, over the last 10 to 11 years, a lot more evidence showing um, the importance of sleep within the context of sport. Um, one of the earlier studies that really looked at the impact of um, increased sleep, for example, looked at how it actually improved basketball uh, shooting accuracy, for example. Um, some of the research that um, we did back in Singapore, you know, uh, was on uh, air pistol and air rifle shooters. And um, we basically saw, you know, similar results um, when they were given, you know, an ex um, sleep extension opportunity as well. So I'd say, you know, um, there's probably going to be um, you know, a lot more research coming out on the specific importance of sleep on various outcomes. But, you know, I think, you know, sleep science within the context of uh, sport is really like the new kid on the block. Like, you know, we've, we, we know that, you know, sports nutrition, sports psychology, physiology, those are all, you know, fairly well established uh, constructs already. I think, you know, sleep's probably going to be that next, um, you know, frontier, so to speak, in terms of how it really helps um athletes and i think you know the important thing is you know because we all experience it um you know everyone can kind of relate uh to to sleep one of the age-old questions when it comes to the topic of sleep is how long should i be resting for as Haresh explains there's a few factors at play when it comes to answering that query yeah i think you know the first thing to sort of um acknowledge would be sort of what what are the requisites in terms of sleep and you know we generally break sleep down in terms of uh, durations as well as quality of sleep so durations would be you know essentially how long do you need to sleep every night and the quality would essentially be you know how much time do you take to fall asleep as well as you know do you say do you stay asleep throughout that entire uh, sleep bout so in, in general, like you, you don't want to be, you know, waking up more than two to three times a night as a young adult or a general adult. Um, young adults in terms of sleep quantity, it's ideal that you get any to anywhere between like seven to nine hours of sleep, uh, slightly shorter if you're an older adult. So then the question is, you know, how do you sort of um, get those, you know, requisites and, you know, um, like I said earlier, like there's so many factors that can, you know, impact um, sleep. And it's, it's uh, quite cyclic because um, say, for example, um, exercise, like exercise in itself, like performing regular exercise, cardiovascular exercise has been shown to actually improve a person's quality of sleep. Um, so that in itself is, um, you know, it, it's, it's a one directional relationship, but having said that, um, individuals that don't get enough of sleep have also been shown to not be motivated to exercise. So it's, it's, uh, it's a weird, you know, bi-directional sort of uh, relationship where, you know, uh, what comes first, because if you are not getting enough sleep and you're not motivated to, you know, get up of the chair or, you know, stop, you know, watching Netflix, for example, and, you know, go out for a run, then that also almost immediately has an uh, influence on how well you're going to sleep that night. So, you know, several things kind of need to um, fall into place. Humans are creatures of habit. Like any other routine, 
Bedtime routines establish habits that help our brains recognize when it's time to sleep. By performing the same activities in the same order every night, your brain comes to see those activities as a precursor to sleep. But how many of us use an alarm clock to help us fall asleep, as opposed to helping us wake up? As Haresh explains, the use of an alarm clock can help us establish an effective bedtime routine. A, a, a relatively simpler one, um, say you're not trying to address um, you know, any kind of stress or anxiety, but it's more of a scheduling issue, is say, for example, using an alarm clock to kickstart your wind down sort of a period at the end of the day. So, you know, normally what we do is we set an, we set an alarm clock, you know, when we wake up, but um, a lot of the athletes we worked with, you know, we tell them to set an alarm clock, say an hour before they intended to fall asleep, just to ensure that, you know, seven days out of the week, you, you are basically trying to get um, a consistent, you know, bedtime uh, established because once that's established, you know, a lot of things sort of fall into fall into place, and I think you know with sleep, it's it's really one of those um, things where it, it requires more behavioral uh, rather than exogenous sort of uh, interventions. And I think you know because we are human, uh, behavioral interventions also tend to be the most difficult. Um, you know, like if you you know, talk about like the, the, the concept of, uh, say, you know, delayed gratification, for example, you know, if, if you're, you know, dangling two sort of rewards in front of a person, you know, a, you know, you can watch Netflix right now and have the reward of, you know, catching up on, you know, whatever's on at the point in time versus B, you know, where you don't have Netflix, you don't get that reward, you sleep in, that reward potentially comes sometime in the future, but it's not fully tangible. Like you, you, you can't really attribute sleep to many of the performance enhancements that you might see. So I think that's, that's where, you know, sleep falls into this trap of, you know, potentially being a bit more underappreciated, even though it sounds like it's a pretty easy thing to fix. We've spoken a bit about some techniques or strategies that can help us form healthy sleeping habits. But on the flip side, what are some of the things we should avoid if we wish to get a good night's sleep. To help us, Haresh has a handy little acronym for us to use. Yeah, um, so I think, you know, it might be uh, useful for me to sort of uh, highlight this acronym um, I use. So it's, um, the acronym is ASLEEP, A-S-L-E-E-P. Um, so the A stands for, you know, avoidance of, you know, caffeine, um, alcohol, and, and nicotine. So basically, um, you know, in this case, you know, caffeine, nicotine are sort of stimulants that prevent you from getting to sleep. Um, and alcohol, you know, conversely is, is a sedative. So, you know, there, there tends to be, um, you know, sometimes a reliance on alcohol for some people to actually fall asleep. Now, the, the important thing to remember is that uh, being sedated is not the same as uh, being asleep. When you have alcohol, um, although you fall asleep, the, the architecture of your sleep actually alters uh, quite significantly. Um, and similarly with, with caffeine, like for example, um, I've heard of people who, you know, are just chronically tired because they're just not getting enough sleep and they, they do um, take caffeine, caffeine, you know, quite close to bedtime. And, you know, when I suggest, you know, bringing, you know, I either lowering the dose or having caffeine earlier in the day, the general, sort of um, responses or, but it doesn't affect me falling asleep. The issue there is, you know, with, uh, with caffeine, it, 
actually impacts you while you're asleep. So there's a, there tends to be a lot more light sleep when you actually get to sleep. So the quality of your sleep actually gets um, impacted as well. Um, so after A, um, it's S. So that's basically sleep. So sleep should be prioritized um, in the bedroom. So essentially just make um, that environment, um, you know, essentially a temple just for recovery and just, just for sleep. So, you know, uh, block out lights, you know, optimal temperature, you know, between 20 to 22 degrees, um, get a great pillow, uh, weighted blankets, uh, tend to help as well. So that environment, environmental setup is, um, is really ideal. Uh, the next one would be L, uh, L would be leave your sort of digital, digital devices outside the bedroom. Um, it, it's one of those, um, you know, uh, we had once as well, because a lot of us have the tendency to use our mobile devices as an alarm clock. Um, so it's, you know, I, I would say that, you know, the, the main point of this is, you know, you don't want to be constantly checking your digital device while you're in bed or using that just ahead of bedtime. There is some, you know, uh, research to show that the blue light that gets emitted from these devices can potentially, uh, impact your sleep, but as of late, it seems to be a bit um, equivocal, but it's also more of uh, you don't want to have another sort of device that's competing, um, you know, your or competing against sleep as a priority. Uh, the next one would be E, which is exercise. So, you know, exercising regularly and um, ideally outdoors because um, just being outdoors uh, and, and with doing exercise while the sun is out helps to you know, set a very nice um, established circadian rhythm, which will actually help a person fall, to sleep, fall asleep at the right, right time of day. Um, the last couple of ones, uh, so E is um, establish, so establish a consistent bedtime and wait time. I think a lot of us you know, fall uh, pray to this habit of, you know, we sort of curtail our sleep during the weekdays because of, you know, work or school commitments. And then we sort of binge or play catch up sleep, you know, on Friday, Saturday. Um, there's, there's a fair amount of evidence now suggesting that that sort of variability in, in sleep patterns can have really, you know, adverse um, outcomes. And also, like, if you just think about it, like, uh, quite simply, if I'm going to be sleeping in, you know, Friday to Saturday, Saturday over to Sunday, there's a high chance I'm not going to be able to sleep uh, relatively early on Sunday night. Then what happens on Monday morning is I'm going to have to wake up early and I start the week off uh, partially sleep deprived. And that's, you know, one sort of uh, contribution to why many people establish what's known as Monday blues, because you effectively wake up in a grumpier state and everyone around you is also in, in a very similar mental state as well. And the last one, like I mentioned earlier, uh, P is just prioritize, um, sleep, you know, um, you know, if, if you're try and think of sleep as an, as a non-negotiable recovery tool, like if you get your sleep, right, get your nutrition, right. And your training program, right. From an athletic perspective, that's, you know, your, your foundation, foundational elements of, um, recovery, um, covered basically. Some days you wake up refreshed. Others, it feels like you barely slept at all. What separates the good nights from the bad isn't always clear, but the use of a sleep tracker can provide a valuable insight. It monitors your sleep patterns for a clearer picture of how much quality sleep you're getting. However, 
As Haresh informs us, there's a lot more to optimizing your sleep experience than just simply using a sleep tracker. And utilizing its data isn't as simple as paying back sleep that you've already lost. Yeah, um, I think like after thinking about it, like there's probably like two main ones. Um, I think the first one would be, you know, with, like I mentioned earlier on, you know, with all the commercially available um, tracking devices that we have nowadays, um, I think people might have the impression that if you start tracking your sleep, that's going to lead to an improvement in sleep. Um, so that's, um, you know, definitely not the case. I think tracking your sleep is, is step one. Uh, but, you know, I think after tracking the sleep or even before you, you start deciding whether you want to start um, monitoring your sleep, it's, you know, what steps are you willing to take to actually um, extend your sleep bouts? Like, are you willing to take those steps? Um, and I think the, the flip side of tracking sleep as well, like more recently, there's a phenomenon called uh, orthosomnia where people become preoccupied with trying to improve their sleep to the point that they start losing sleep over it. And uh, so I think, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, uh, tracking sleep, uh, yes, there, there, there are a whole host of devices and, um, you know, different ranges of accuracies, but, you know, it, it's really, what are you going to do with that information? You know, you don't need to, you know, start tracking your sleep to improve your sleep. I think that's um, one misconception. So uh, the second one, would probably be that, um, you know, that you can sort of pay back whatever sleep you've lost, um, where say, you know, I, I bring you into a sleep lab, then, and I, you know, sleep deprive you for eight hours tonight. Um, that eight hours that you lose, you know, if I were to bring you in the next couple of nights to a sleep lab, you might sleep, you know, an hour, two hours more for the next couple of nights, but you never really fully repay that eight hours back. So, you know, damage essentially is, is done already. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, like, um, it's, it's almost hard to appreciate like how, um, how important or how, you know, disruptive sleep can be. And, you know, to give you an example of this, like there was a study conducted a while back, um, um, looking at how daylight savings actually impacts like human health. So, you know, like, um, when we have daylight savings, we essentially lose an hour. And I think it was in the state of Chicago. What they realized was that the Monday after daylight savings actually hits, um, the, the rate of acute myocardial, my, myocardial infarct or, you know, um, heart attacks basically goes up by 24%, um, just in terms of the number of people that, uh, report, uh, with heart attacks to hospitals the Monday after daylight savings actually hit. So, you know, obviously there, there are a lot of underlying mechanisms that still need to be studied, but, you know, the, the general research does show that, um, you know, sleep deprivation can have, you know, quite acute inflammatory responses to uh, cardiac health as well. So, you know, and that's just a single night uh, worth of, you know, an hour of short shortening, albeit in a very vulnerable population. But, you know, it's, it's just to give people an appreciation of, you know, how, um, you know, sleep can actually impact a person like so acutely. Before we finished up with Haresh, we asked him for any final thoughts with regards to sleep and optimal sleeping habits. For Haresh, it all comes down to shifting our perspective when it comes to sleep. Yeah, I think, you know, it's just, um, 
the, the simple one that I sort of touched on really early on is really just um, prior prioritize sleep um, for yourself and you know ideally for those around you as well you know because I think you know social interactions as well kind of determine how your sleep is um, whether within your household or outside of your household so I think it's one of those things where the more people we have um, starting to acknowledge sleep as um, you know more than just something that we do um, on a daily basis um, and starting to appreciate that it's really, really um, useful both for general health and sport performance, I think we'll probably reach a much better outcome uh, in the future. Thanks for listening in to our chat with Dr. Haresh Sapaya. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and learned plenty from it. That wraps up the final Thrive Health and Wellbeing podcast episode for 2021. It's been an absolute pleasure bringing you the unique insights, views, and expert advice from La Trobe University's fine array of researchers, academics, and industry professionals across the sport, health, and wellness space. Thank you for your listenership, and we hope to see you back again in 2022. If you've missed any episodes of the Thrive Health and Wellbeing podcast, don't forget you can go back and listen to all seven episodes produced so far on Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Podcasts. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on the platform where you get your favorite audio podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next year.